Hello, everybody. Welcome in to the 8 o'clock hour of the Great Scott Show. I am Scott Prather, and he is the voice of Louisiana's Raging Cajuns, my friend. I have known him for 16-plus years. I'd be Mr. Jay Walker. 16-plus years may not be a long time in the grand scheme of your life. It's a long time <laughs> in the grand scheme of my life. Uh, I think uh, all of those statements are probably true. Um Oh, man, it's good to see you. Good to see you, too. Yesterday, it was announced uh, the 2021 UL Athletics Hall of Fame class. So Mm -hmm. Louisiana Raging Cajun Athletics. It's the Hall of Fame. All right, every class is loaded. But, dude. Yeah. I mean, when I saw that, I was like, oh. Or as Cajuns would say, choo. So you got the late great Tony Robichaud. Mm Mm-hmm. All-American Phil Devey. Mm-hmm. All-Sunbelt Conference, over a decade-plus in Major League Baseball, Paul Bacco. Mm-hmm. And All-American Ashley Brignac. Mm-hmm. That's, that is one heck of a four-member class. Well, I think it's very cool, and I do believe it was by design. And if it wasn't by design, well, I don't believe in coincidence, so it was just meant to be. I think it's fitting and proper that Phil Devey and Tony Robichaud are going in together. I thought the same thing. Um, You know, Paul Bacco finished his UL career one year before I started with the radio broadcast, but I'm well aware of his career in college. He was a hell of a player and uh, also was, uh, you know, when when Greg Maddox says, I want this guy as my personal catcher, that's that's pretty good. And I do believe that in her freshman season, that Ashley Brignac, now Dr. Ashley Brignac Domek, her freshman year was the best UL softball player I'd ever seen. Was that 07? 08. 08? Mm-hmm. I thought that, that she was so dominant that year. In the circle. Yeah. And, of course, she beat number one Florida um, in the College World mm-hmm. Series. She she was amazing. I You know, she, I think, is fifth all-time in, in wins at the university. I can't begin to think of how good she'd have been had she not gotten injured. I heard a discussion this week. I don't remember where. It was a it was sports radio or podcast or somewhere, uh, but it was about top tier high school athletes when they don't, I guess, fulfill their destiny for lack of better phrasing when they don't become this incredible talent. You might see I think Davis Mills last Thursday with his long neck played quarterback for the Texans and he didn't play very well, but people were like, hey, he was the number one high school player. You know, when he was in California and then college and he's in the pros. Good for him. But he's like Alex Anzalone was one of the top high school athletes and he's OK as a pro. But and that label sort of follows you. I guess my point is sometimes you see the top athlete in college and then they become the top athlete in the pros. You see a lot of top number one ranked high school Athletes, they don't become, they they never live up to the billing. I find 
they live up to the billing less than the top-tier college athlete does that then goes pro, Is that if that makes sense. I mean, I remember the absurd, and I'll use the word absurd, takes from UL softball fans would call the show back in the day and be like, she's, she's going to, no one's ever going to get a hit off of her. And of course that's not what happened, but I never, there hasn't been a single athlete since I, and you've been covering UL a heck of a lot longer than me, Jay. I mean, 16 plus years for me, there has not been an athlete that has come around that was more hyped than her in any of the sports. And she somehow, Met and dare I say surpassed the expectation. You know, which is, which is just it's not normal. I guess is my point. She went to a two A high school. She went to John Curtis, mm-hmm. and the 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 legend. Of course, this is like the fish. Okay, that that fish just keeps getting bigger. In the in the high school uh, state tournament, I, I want to say they were playing like Mamu or somebody, and she went out there. You hit a foul tip off her. You were high five at yep. each other mm-hmm. in the dugout. Got a piece like, of she it. was that dominant. I think one girl hit a pop up, and 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 they're you know, but that's how good she was. You know, and and look, it was more than that. Okay, she comes to UL. She's tall. She's very attractive. She's got these dimples that you can see from across the room, and and she's a perfect student. And she, she's a great softball player. And she wound up being the outstanding graduate at the university in addition to all this other stuff. Um, and, you know, she's married now. She's a chiropractor uh, in River Ridge. She just had uh, her second child, a little boy, uh, to go along with Cooper, another little boy. Um, and I contacted her yesterday and, and congratulated her and she was just thrilled uh, to get that phone call. Friday is when they all got the phone calls, and it was Dr. Maggard who made the calls. Um, I am so looking forward to seeing her again because she. If I if I made a list of my top ten student athletes that I ever covered, there's no question Ashley Brignac would be on the list. She was uh, somehow surpassed the hype. Um, Bill Devey, you got to see. I've I, I don't I didn't really see him play I, I wasn't around at that time um, but I've you know I've I've talked to Phil and hung out with him a few times since because Did you get a word a, in edgewise he made a home here oh he he's well it, it, years ago he was he was he was on he was promoting something so he kind of had to let me but whenever it's like not on the air it's just it's um, you could tell that guy. You, you, I got the sense, like, man, this guy likes to metaphorically locker room talk, bust everyone's balls, and get after it. And then, yet, when it's time to just lock in, kind of like the guy that every great team needs. But he also happened to be an All American pitcher with just elite stuff. You know, he's you know he's the all time strikeout leader, and 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 he's got like three hundred and fifty strikeouts. And I don't think anybody's going to touch that. But here's the crazy thing. He was a part-time pitcher as a freshman, and he didn't play his senior year. He did all of that in two years. That's wild. And was, um, Tony said, cause, and, and I remember asking him specifically, who had the best two-seam fastball? He, filled, he said, Phil Devey, and it's not close. Um, you know, Phil won a medal uh, at the Olympics, won a game in the Olympics, uh, pitching Canada. for Canada. Yeah. Um, I remember the first interview 
um, the Cajuns had beaten LSU, who I think was ranked number one at the time. And Phil was the winning pitcher. He came on in relief. And and Don went down to talk to Tony after the game, and then he interviewed Phil. And Phil cl- closed the interview with, I love this school. I love my teammates. I love this country. And Don says, we love you, man. <laughs> and that's how it ended. But he was um, he was so dominant. I mean, and and he had Ashley Brignac and Phil Devey had this in common. Off the field, two of the nicest human beings you're ever going to meet. In the circle around the mound, they became assassins. And Phil was just man. He, Dude was good. He told me a story once that was funny. So Phil's like, I, I think you talk to different players that play for Robe, and some talk about how they bought in instantly. Others talk about how it was sort of he's they kind of had this guard up, and he slowly chipped away, and then eventually, sort of the light came on, and they were like, "Man, he, there's a lot of wisdom there." But you know, these are when you get there, you're a teenager. I mean, Phil, Phil. At least a few of the stories he would tell me, it seemed like he was a guy that sort of bought in like right away to everything Tony was saying. And he said that that Tony would sometimes tell him like when he was talking in the locker room, like everyone listen, like eyes on me, whatever. And he didn't want Phil, I guess, looking down or doing something. But what Phil said he <laughs> Tony caught him doing once was that he was right he he had a, a little notepad and a pen, and he was writing down some of the things Tony was saying because he wanted to keep tabs on it and send it back to his parents in Canada and let them know. And he, and he Tony was like, Phil, what are you doing? And he's like, oh, sorry, sorry. And then he noticed that he was just taking notes of what Tony was actually saying, and I think he was okay with it. But, um, you know, of course, Phil sort of was, was one of the guys that really led that campaign of from former players to to erect that statue. That yeah, he was he was the guy in charge. It just and, um it, and it's and, and it's great. Phil Devi can sell now, okay? That's one one of the traits he has. He can absolutely sell and of course he didn't have to sell too hard for that particular project. Phil tells the story of you know, he he comes down from Canada. All right? It was like the friend of somebody that was in Lake Charles called Tony and said, well, you can come try out, you know. So he comes down with his baseball equipment, but he also has his hockey equipment in the mm-hmm. trunk. And he says, if I don't make it in baseball, I'm going to go try out for the ice skaters. And this was, of course, in the fall of 1996. The, hey- the heyday. That's correct. The peak. So he had he had performed poorly in a, a an inner squad or whatever. And he had pretty much figured that that this wasn't this wasn't for him. He was discouraged. He he went to the ballpark and was just kind of sitting there. And he looked, and Tony is in a bucket up in the air, pressure washing the scoreboard. And and DB looked out there and saw him, and he said, "You know what? If he's going to go do that." I need to stick this out. And he became one of the greatest pitchers in UL history. I, We don't know sometimes 
We know a lot of the stories about how Tony touched people, but there's a lot of stories we still don't know. And um, Phil's a good story. Phil is a really good story. ESPN 1420, Scott Prather, Jay Walker, Paul Bacco, um, again, a dozen years in Major League Baseball, but a guy that's that's from Lafayette, you know, um, played at UL and was on one of the great, you know, I think a 49 or 50 win team. Um, it's got to be cool for a guy also. We talk about sort of Phil residing here now, but originally being from Canada and actually being from from New Orleans or just outside, you know, suburb of New Orleans. But for, for Baco, I, there's got to be something cool about just born and bred. Then you go away and you're sort of this nomad for a dozen years, 11 teams in 12 years of Major League Baseball. You come back, you know, you come back home, but now you get to be in the Hall of Fame right there for the place you grew up and um, played for. There's something something cool about that kind of homecoming. No, it's true. And, and you know, Paul is an excellent defensive catcher, which is why so many teams wanted him, uh, mostly as, as, as their backup his entire career. But it is true that when he was with the Atlanta Braves that Greg Maddox selected him to be his personal catcher. I, 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 I don't know if it gets much better than that, dude. He was, he was the catcher for the Cubs in the Bartman game. Yeah. I mean, guy's got some stories. He does have some stories. Uh, congratulations to them. And, of course, you know, it's no surprise that Tony is uh, is in the class. And, um, you know, it'll be it'll be an emotional time for sure when uh, the inductees go in the weekend of the 29th and 30th, homecoming weekend. But, uh, you know, I that came out yesterday, I guess, after my show was over. I was like, you know, this is the first thing I'm talking to with, with Jay about tomorrow because um, – it's it's just a stack class, man. Of course, they will um, they will all be inducted the night before the homecoming game um, on that Friday. I think it's the 29th um, of October. And uh, yesterday, they asked if I would MC it. I've never emceed that that uh, Hall of Fame thing before, and it uh, took me almost a tenth of a second to say yes. <laughs> uh, and 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 I'm going to say this seriously, and I'm not um, I'm not blowing it out of proportion. It's going to be one of the thrills of my career is getting to host that Hall of Fame banquet. Well, that's awesome. Because those are special people. Well, I'm glad you get to do it. I'm happy you get to do it, and it'll certainly be a uh, a special, special evening. ESPN 1420.com. Um, I want to talk college football with you before we get into TTT. Levi Lewis, from a, a, a statistical standpoint, if you looked at the box score, had a, a very good game. Mm-hmm. Um, talking to Coach Napier yesterday, Billy's like, yeah, you know, from a statistic standpoint, from a rating standpoint, it was one of his better games, but I think he would tell you and I would tell you that there are about six plays he really, really wants back where if he makes the right decision, um, it's, a you know, things go differently, which I read is if he makes the right decision – they don't win it twenty-eight to twenty. It's more like thirty-eight to to, to seventeen or something like that. Um, you know, Levi's been steady. Where, where how do you, how would you grade Levi's performance four games into his? You know, his it's senior you know year? you know it's crazy. He's twenty-one out of twenty-eight. Yeah. Okay. That's seventy-five percent. And we're talking about five or six plays he wishes he had back. Um, and so are he and his coach. Yes. Yes. Levi 
his entire career in the three years that he's been the starting quarterback under Billy Napier always has a couple of plays that make you go, eh, if he would have done this or, you know, he, he didn't see this or, and then you look up at the end of the game and look at his numbers and you say, okay, how, how can I complain here? I was for the Ohio game. I was in the press box and, uh, talking to some various members of the press. It was kind of the same thing. It was, they were kind of like, man, Levi did there. I'm like, look at the stats. Yeah. And they're all, we all kind of said what you just said. Like, it seems like this happens every week. You, and, you watch and then you look at the stats and you're like, man, this is so effective. But there's a few plays out there that pull and, the trigger. And he has two or three drops every game. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think if I'm going to be his critic, my biggest criticism of Levi is not the decisions that he makes to throw the football. It's the decisions that he doesn't make to run the football. I, I, I saw at least three plays the other night where he had a, uh, where he had an option to keep it and he didn't. Um, I, I'd like to, I'd, I'd like to see a little bit more of the dual threat thing from him, but you know, I, Oh, he can't throw the deep ball. Well, you know, he threw two of them 45 yards, hit the two guys right in stride. Those were two of the best throws I've seen him ever make. I mean, that first one, it wasn't like it was like this moonshot. It was like a laser shot. Mm -hmm. Just, I mean, hits Jefferson in stride in so fast that you almost had to double take like, wait, it was that long? It was good. The, um, I, he had... One play, and it was, I don't remember exactly when it was. But, you know, he went back to throw and got sacked for a 10-yard loss. And I saw it immediately from where we were that his receiver ran the wrong route. And it and it kind of, and so he didn't even have time to go through progressions because that was the guy he needed to get the ball to, and the guy ran the wrong route. Um, and I'm sure that, Levi, what do you know? Um, I, I think in a lot of ways, Levi has had too much blame put on his shoulders when the Cajuns don't play well, and maybe not enough credit when the Cajuns do play well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you know, there he was, 75%. We're talking about plays he didn't make. Yeah. Couple, I, I, it's, he's very efficient, and he hasn't yet in his career had the perfect game. And by perfect game, I don't mean no incompletions, no, you know, I'm not saying 20 of 20 for 300 yards and five touchdowns, but one where I think he and and, and, and Coach Napier would say, like, that's it. Like, that was it. We, you know what? We don't even have to go back and look. We That happened. Let's enjoy it, and now let's get ready for the next one. Um, but I, I do think at some point before the season's over, it's going to happen. Well, I, you know, I hope it does. Um I respect Levi as much as any student athlete I've ever covered. And and once again, it's because he's the total package. He's a great young man. He's a very good student. Um, nobody outworks him. Uh, they haven't had too many that I would call a better leader. Maybe some just as good, but nobody that I'd call a better leader. He is a um, – he's the, he's the whole package in that regard. And, you know, watching the games – and 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 talking, you know, talking with 
Gerald and talking with Crippa and talking with Richie. A lot of times you'll see those, you know, he'll have six or seven incompletions, eight or nine incompletions. And folks will say, so-and-so was wide open. Levi is five foot nine and three quarters, and sometimes he don't see him. It's just the way it is. I'm just tell I'm just telling you, if the dude was six foot two, he would have been in the Southeastern Conference. Louisiana at South Alabama. Jaguars coming off of a, an off week. They're three and zero. Wins over Southern Miss, Bowling Green, and Alcorn State. Major Applewhite, quarterback, coach, offensive coordinator. They're averaging. 27 a game. They're feeling good in Mobile. Others would say they haven't had a, a challenge yet. UL is a 12-and-a-half-point favorite, betting favorite. always want to make sure that everyone knows I mean that when I say favorite. Um, Saturday night, Sun Belt, another road game. South Alabama's fresh, UL. Unfortunately, Carlos Rubio is it's a significant injury. They don't anticipate getting him back, so it's back to A.J. Gilly. We... We did see a difference in the O line when they had Rubio in there. In terms of the full, what are your what are your feelings heading into this matchup? I got a lot of them. <laughs> you know, I it looks like, and and I think that the administration at South Alabama understands that they're going to have to make an investment in the program if they're going to be successful. Now they've got the stadium, which is a huge step. But, um, you know, they went out, hired a, a good up-and-coming young coach in, in Kane Womack, who I don't think is 35 yet. Uh, he's a very young guy. He goes out, and he's able to hire a guy like Major Applewhite. So so it tells me... He's 34. He's 34. It, it tells me that the, that the commitment is being made there. You're correct in that South Alabama's, the, the folks that they've defeated are nothing that make you go oh wow okay they southern miss is honestly a a poor team it's one of the worst teams they had going to take will hall some time over there um and south alabama needed to get three interceptions in the second half to pull away cuz it was a close game in the third quarter um they won on the road at bowling green and road wins i don't care who you're playing road wins aren't easy Bowling Green, though, had not beaten an FBS team in two years. And then they turned around and beat Minnesota last week. Um, Alcorn, they trailed at halftime. Came back and won that game. So the quality of their opponents hasn't been great, but the reality is this. You're 3-0 and for the first time since you moved up to the FBS. You just had an extra week to prepare and you've got a hundred and some odd guys in that locker room that believe now that they can win because they're three and zero. So they're to the point where they are almost cocky. And if you you put on your on your Twitter yesterday evening, um, Dave Schultz, our good friend, who's at WNSP, in a package that he put together. And they got a defensive tackle, comes on, 10-second clip, and he says, yeah, we're not concerned about their running game. I heard that, yeah. And I went, wait, what? Now, they've been very good. They're, they're only allowing about 50 yards a game on the ground. They're one of the tops in the country. 
but we're not worried about their running game. How many times do you think Billy Napier's going to play that clip this week? For the O-line and the running back? Yeah. So um, this is this is a game that is not going to be easy. It is a game that I think it will have to – the Cajuns, I think, are going to have to play the best football of the year to win it. Um, Alabama is good enough to where if you play half-assed, you can get beat. Mm-hmm. Now, I think the talent's still in the Cajuns' favor, and, and Kane Womack is correct when he says they're four years into this, and we're about a half a year into this. Um, Billy Napier, I think, will have the Cajuns ready to play because – Division games count double. And and he's preached that since he got here. You play games within your division, they count twice. And they put so much emphasis on it. And the Cajuns have not lost a Western Division game since Billy Napier's been the head coach. Um, I think South Alabama this year might have passed Arkansas State as the second-best team in the West. Um, we're going to learn a lot about South Al Saturday. I think we're going to learn a lot about the Cajuns, too. Um. I do think at some point, at least once, maybe twice, South Alabama is going to try some trickeration. Misdirection, something. I think big Major Applewhite is going to pull something out in the play call, and at some point they're going to, they're going to try something. They have a good, they have a good quarterback, um, and, and you do have Applewhite who's – but I think the strength of this football team is its defense. Oh, absolutely. Um, no, but th- that almost leads more into why I think offensively they're going to try to manufacture something that may not come in the context of let's just line up and, and go toe-to-toe here. Um, but, yes, that, that I'm with you on, on South House defense. Mm-hmm. It'll be fun. ESPN 1420N.com. Um, Your next three games, South Alabama, App State, Arkansas State. Here we go. 27 after the hour. Dude, I got th- I got th- I got three letters for you. ULM. Beat Troy. No, dominated Troy. ULM back-to-back wins. Back-to-back wins. They have a winning record. They're tied for first place in the Sunbelt West. I mean, 10 days ago they hadn't won a game in 600 plus days. Yeah. Yeah. Uh Chad Lunsford being let go of Georgia Southern. You surprised? No. And I'll tell you why. Two things. I had heard before I even left to go out there that if the Cajuns went out and dominated them, that he would probably be terminated the next day. That's, that's, they have a new athletic director there. I don't think he was really fond of the way Lunsford ran his program. Um, And so Cajuns go out, kick butt, well, they didn't kick butt. It was it was a competitive game. Georgia Southern played hard. They did. But there was a video that surfaced the next morning. Georgia Southern, traditionally, they ride yellow school buses to the stadium. They even do that when they're on the road. When they play here, they, they rent yellow school buses to pick them up at the hotel. It, that is, that's a tradition at Georgia Southern. They have a lot of odd traditions. And so, so the buses are coming, and one of the players is on top of the bus, and somebody tosses him a beer, and he opens it, and he chugs it. With one beer, two beers, 
Three beers. And and what makes it even worse, what makes it even worse, it's the same guy who jumped offside on fourth and one. Give me a hell yeah. I said give me a hell yeah. The, the guy, his name is uh, Gavin Adcock, is the, is the young man. He has been indefinitely suspended by the athletic director. Um, he's a, um, a hopeful country music star. He's actually come out with a couple of singles. He, he writes songs, and he may get to do that full-time if this keeps up. But no, he's the guy who drinking jumped off. brews and getting booed. He's the guy who jumped offside. ESPN1420.com. Scott Prather, Jay Walker. All right, before we get into TTT, um, LSU got the win at Mississippi State. Neither team ran the ball. Um, LSU's biggest issue continues to be not being able to run the ball. I said I thought they'd beat Mississippi State by three. I was correct in that one, but but I said, but neither, they don't have to run the ball to beat Mississippi State because it's this is just a different team than they're going to see typically in the SEC. Uh, they ran 3-2-6 on defense. They said, y'all aren't going to run it, so we're just going to sit here and have everybody play defense and cover guys. Had an 18-point lead. It started to slip away late, but they, they got the win. Auburn didn't look that great against Georgia State. They're still ranked. They're going to Tiger Stadium Saturday night at 8. Last week's game felt like the most important game uh, since the national title game. Does it take any heat or pressure off of this, or is this week another make-or-break game in your mind for, for Coach O and the Tigers? I, I think this is an awfully big game for LSU. You know, you went out, congratulations, you beat the, the worst team in the Western Division by three points. Congratulations to you. Now, you won on the road, which is good. Cowbell. Now you're going to play a team that's ranked in the top 25 um, that I think was looking right past their opponent last week because they knew they were coming to Tiger Stadium. I think LSU's got a shot in this game because it's a night game in Baton Rouge. I think if this game were um, on the Plains, I, I would say I don't think LSU's going to win the game. I think they got a shot, but... To your point, I think they're going to have to find a way to run the football. Auburn, guess what they like to do, and guess what they do well? They run the football. LSU's averaging 80 yards a game on the ground. It's The spread right now, by the way, betting-wise, LSU minus three and a half. Um, you get that one, then you're at Kentucky, and then you have Florida. It, it if you're going to have any shot at any point this season in terms of how the schedule's laid out to, I think, gain any kind of momentum, this is the only spot you can you can kind of do it here. Uh, but if you lose it... Ken- Kentucky's a, a much better team than people think because they never think Kentucky's any good. Kentucky's pretty good. But then, you, you know, to your point, in no particular order, you're gonna, you, you've got the one game with ULM, but the rest of your schedule is Florida... Arkansas, Alabama, Texas A&M, Ole Miss. How about Arkansas? How about Arkansas? I mean, look, two great games this week. Arkansas at Georgia and Ole Miss at Alabama. Two great games. And then and then you've got Auburn and LSU. So, I mean, you got three. 
you got three pretty doggone good games this week. Florida, Kentucky. 59-year-old Sam Pittman. Big guy. I don't know what it is about that guy, but he is perfect for Fayetteville. Yep. Yes, sir. More college football talk in the final segment, but up next, it's terrible. Tune Tuesday on ESPN 1420.com. Welcome back into the Great Scott Show. For those of you that are listening after the fact, on demand, you missed a ponderous edition of Terrible Tune Tuesday. That is correct. Biggest disappointment in college football right now, Jay. Clemson, Texas A&M, or someone else? Someone else. Who is it? Florida State. Well, they put a whole... (laughs) Florida A&M is the best football team in Tallahassee right now. I think God's punishing Florida State for coming to Lafayette and stealing Emmy Logan away from us. Emmy was handling marketing and promotions for the Cajuns. Florida State hired her, and no sooner did they get, did she get there that they haven't won a game since. God is punishing them. <clears throat> now, I didn't go with Florida State because I, their expectation level wasn't high, but they have reached new depths of to lose the way they did against Jacksonville State, that's – I don't know how you come back from that. No, I, I – you know, I'm with you. But, man, I mean, I almost I was joking around with somebody when A&M lost to Arkansas. I'm like, well, maybe A&M will just give Jimbo Fisher another raise because they just keep doing that for some reason. I mean, this I, is a team with, with national title aspirations this year. Well, and, and you know, they, they've got a loss. They were, they're lucky they don't have two. Mm-hmm. Um, but, no, I, I – you know, Clemson is the poster child for why you shouldn't have preseason polls. I mean, they're, they're, they're preseason number two, and they've played like number two. I get it. But when you have a standard consistently for the course of like eight or nine years, no, I, I certainly didn't expect Clemson to take the step back that they have. I mean, they don't even look like a team. I think they're ranked in the back 25th or something. They don't even look like a team that deserves to be ranked at all. And I forget how they play this week, but they're like a 16-point favorite against a pretty good team. And I'm going, can they score 16 points, period? It's a big drop-off all of a sudden for a team that's been. No, they, no, it really is. It's a reminder that. They're love, still good defensively. It's a reminder that love it or hate it, Nick Saban is the greatest coach of all time. You know the last time he lost to an unranked opponent? It was to ULM. Really? That was his first year. He has won at Alabama 100 consecutive games against unranked opponents. Number two on that list, by the way, was Clemson at 36, and then they just lost to an unranked NC State. So number two on the list currently is Notre Dame, who's better than people give credit for, but not as good as they get hyped up to be because they're not Alabama or Ohio State, but they're really good. But the gap between 100 and 36 is second place, which is Notre Dame. And then third place, I think, is Cincinnati at like 25 straight. And one of those is going to get broken because they play each other. (laughs) 
So 100 consecutive. Like, I get it. He's lost some games here or there. But I'm I'm on the radio. I'm going to call you back in two minutes. There you go. I'll call you back in two minutes. (laughs) On that note. Dog's got to go to the groomer, and Nancy wants to know who's got to bring him. Jay, that was fun. Thanks for coming in. Appreciate it, man. All right. Stay tuned. Greenies next tomorrow. Going to visit with Dave Schultz, Luke Johnson, talk some Saints with him, TJ Wisham, Ragey Cajun running back and special teamer. Why do his teammates call him Brother Wisham? TJ Wisham almost killed a Georgia Southern dude. We're going to talk to him tomorrow. It's going to be fun. I'll talk to you guys then. Don't go anywhere. It's ESPN 1420. Let's do the do. Oh, listen, listen.